that was when we started really embracing richer metadata preparation, if you like, so that rather than trying to find a card or looking on a rushes log and seeing, oh, that shot might be quite nice and we'll go and find the card and have a look at it. We wanted to do the searches to go straight to the footage rather than through various swings and roundabouts to get to, to where the footage actually is. That's Dan Carew-Jones, post-production consultant at Arrow International Media, talking about their adoption of machine learning generated metadata during the COVID lockdown. You're listening to the Metadata Matters podcast from Grey Meta. In this podcast series, Grey Meta talks to people working with metadata on a daily basis to understand their perspectives and learn about best practices. In particular, I will focus on technology like machine learning and AI can help generate, curate and work with that metadata. I'm Matt Eaton, Managing Director of EMEA at Grey Meta. The adoption of machine learning involves a lot more than just technology decisions. It involves people, skills and competencies and being open to try new ways of working to improve processes. Arrow International Media is a great example of how to successfully adopt machine learning and use this as a springboard for further innovation. They have been using Greymeta's Curio platform for the past 10 months and in this interview Dan provides an insight into their journey. There's great advice here for other organisations looking to innovate and introduce new technology. We talk about a range of topics including how the role of metadata has changed um, since COVID. Uh, we talk about Arrow's journey of adopting machine learning, uh, the successes and uh, some of the challenges. We talk about the importance of the human in the loop to continually refine and curate the tags and how this results in a constant evolution of the metadata model. And finally, we talk about the importance of achieving business value early on in a project and building on that success. Here's the interview. Great. So this week, we're lucky to be joined by Dan, Dan Carew-Jones, post-production consultant at Arrow International Media. Hi, Dan. Hi, Matt. Thanks very much for, for joining us. And I, I, I was keen to talk to you about how Arrow International Media is using machine learning today. Uh, could you start off by introducing yourself and Arrow International Media, please? Uh, sure, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, my name is Dan Carey-Jones and I'm a uh, post-production consultant. I've been working for Arrow International Media for pretty well since they started and they, they set up, I think, about 10 years ago. Uh, it's founded by uh, Tom Brisley, John Smithson and Ian Pelling uh, and our in the space of 10 years have gone from virtually nothing to producing 90 plus hours of television a year. Uh, so they've grown quite significantly in the specialist factual realm with a lot of returning series as well as uh, one-off feature docs. Uh, and they've been, uh, right from the very start, they've been a very uh, forward-looking organization. They're very keen on embracing new technologies and uh, looking at how new technologies can make the production process more efficient, better, make better results out of it. If you can show that there are potential benefits, then uh, they're, they're open to trying it. Great, thank you. And I know um, Arrow International Media won an award last year around its use of cloud uh, as part of production as well. Yeah, it's a very cloud-centric company. There's, there's, there's no servers 
in the office. They're, they're, they're banned apart from in the edit area. So everything essentially is, is, uh, is cloud-based, all of the production documentation and what have you, and all the, all the processes are, are cloud-based. So right from day one, they were, they were fairly clear that that was the, the route they wanted to take. And to be honest, it was, a, it was a, an advantage when we were first hit by the COVID lockdowns that all of that information was available in the cloud to wherever anyone happened to be working. So there was possibly less of a, uh, less of a leap to remote working for, for Arrow than for maybe some other companies. Yeah, um, this, this podcast is all around metadata and how, how it's used day to day by media companies. And could you provide a summary of the role that metadata plays in Arrow's world? Maybe how it used to play in the past versus how it plays today? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, always, it's always played a role to a certain extent, um, you know, we're at a very sort of basic level. Our, our, our camera cards are all labeled with effective information to make them easy to find and easy to sort and easy to categorize and what have you. So there's, there's that very high level of metadata that, that we're starting from. And that in the early days, to be honest, that was all that was, that was needed. The, the, the general process was, film it all, get it back to the office, have a look at it, and then and, and, and uh, just try and make it as findable as we can. And we were able to do that with, the, uh, with file naming. What was always a bit of a, a bugbear with, with me was that there was an awful lot of metadata that was generated in the preparation of shoots. So the production teams are having long conversations with locations and with contributors and just to set up that uh, that shoot and of course the footage would come back and the footage would be great but there was no real link at that point between the footage and the metadata that's generated to in order to create that footage and when we started talking to well we started talking to to you in fact about our ambitions to try and bring that metadata to a more accessible place based on the footage itself so that what you're looking for is the footage, but there's all this supporting metadata that's sitting somewhere else at the moment. And we wanted to try and bring that in more closely. Uh, and so we sort of already started that sort of fairly nebulous uh, development. And when COVID hit, it sort of became obvious that with everyone working remotely, with us unable to, to, to shoot in a lot of instances, we needed a way to to leverage the you know substantial archive that we had of footage and that was when we started really embracing richer metadata preparation if you like so that rather than trying to find a card or looking on a rush's log and seeing all oh, that shot might be quite nice and we'll go and find the card and have a look at it we wanted to do the searches to go straight to the footage rather than through various swings and roundabouts to get to, to where the footage actually is. Um, and we started doing that as a manual logging process as, you know, as anyone probably would, but I think we had, you know, 3000 hours of, of footage at that point. And it was obviously going to take a very long time to, to tag all of that footage with meaningful metadata to make it 
you know, to make it more accessible. Um, and hence talking to you about the uh, uh, object identification side of, uh, of machine learning to really automate that manual process. And we'd, you know, been doing it for a couple of weeks and had logged a huge amount of footage in that two weeks manually, but there was still a huge amount to do. And once we got, uh, got um, Curio working on it, I think it, it analyzed in, I think less than a week, what we had av available. It meant that the people who were logging were able to concentrate then on actually finding the footage. So they were, you know, it bought the, the output a lot earlier, if you like, and allowed people to concentrate on getting results for our edit suites rather than just going through footage shot by shot and, and writing down what was in the shot. Yeah, yeah, great, great. And you, you've been using Grey Matters Curio platform for, I think, almost 10 months now. Um, so it was you know, getting up to a year when when covid hit and uh, you know i'm sure you know there's a lot of other companies that were in similar positions where mm. you know remote editors um both in the uk and the us so yeah with, with uh, arrow international media trying to access um, assets at least all your assets were in the cloud already as you say mm. um so that was that was a huge bonus um that was a that was a, the the fact that everything was in was in the cloud accelerated the process no end if we were if we'd had you know hard drive sitting in the office or something with all our footage on it or lto tapes even worse then it would have been uh you know it would have been a much much slower process in order to to just get access to the footage luckily we had you know a a uh, a media management system uh called linecraft flow which was uh, already in place that had proxies of our footage available for viewing purposes uh, and all our master rushes were stored in the in the in the cloud as well and so there was making all that footage available meant that a solution like like curio was a practical option for us i think to be honest if we'd had to go through the process of getting everything into the cloud and then analyzing it then it might have been a different a different proposition Probably still would have done it, but it wouldn't have been as as quick, uh, and the availability wouldn't have been as as rapid as uh, as it was. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So looking back on on the past sort of ten months, I mean, what what, what surprised you uh, about the use of machine learning? Pretty much everything has surprised me about it because I didn't know an awful lot about it beforehand, to be perfectly honest. But the uh, there's two things that stand out is that one, once you've, once you've sort of embraced it, once you've dived in, in, in essence, then lots of other things start cropping up, lots of other applications that are, that are suggested by other users or, or that you come up with through the, through the process of using the system of how it might be applied to solve specific issues that we that we might have and there's always an element of of uh you know let's 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 try it and see if it works sort of thing and and you know if it does great if it doesn't then you've not really lost very much um and i think that the surprising thing i think from from my point of view is that it's not a it's not an end in itself in effect it's always a it's always a process towards something else and so the fact that we're working with AI doesn't really 
isn't really that relevant. It's it's the fact that we've got you know three four thousand hours of footage which is now accessible to us on a on a searchable basis. Now how we how we got there is is just a process effectively uh, to anybody that's actually using the system. Um, but the the possibilities that crop up and as users get more used to the system, the suggestions that come through about other information that would be really useful for them to use uh, have, have crop up on a, on, a, on a regular basis and some of them we can satisfy, some of them we can't. But it does go back to that initial point that I was making about the linking of the, of the preparation uh, metadata, the, the metadata that's generated, and nobody calls it metadata, but it is and it's vital metadata even down to the point of you know locations of footage and things like that, where where something was shot, which Curio can do a certain a certain amount of by analysing the camera metadata. But if that metadata isn't there, then you need to extract it from other places. But now we're in a position where we can um, uh, interrogate that information, having transferred from the production silo into the media silo, if you like, and has improved the the output of the results. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, one one thing um, you you mentioned recently was around, you know, the editors actually going in and and refining the tags that have been automatically created, so they become much more involved in the curation of that metadata. You know, they're going in and saying, no, no, that's not an AK forty seven, you know, that is. Yeah, so so it's it's getting better in terms of you know the accuracy that way. But... Yeah, it's not, it's not a it's not a it's not a fixed thing. The 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 database that's that we're working through is continually evolving, and the more people that use it, the the better the results come out over time. We don't make it obligatory by any stretch of the imagination that you're right. You you've got to. Uh, you update these tags if you find something that's tagged incorrectly you've got to correct it or add tags or what have you but people uh, have realized that actually for the for the greater good for want of a better phrase it's it's, it's there is a value in removing a tag that is obviously wrong and that's the that's a you know one button push uh on finding the finding the the, the work um, adding adding tags is probably a bit more a bit more detailed, and probably fewer people are are adding tags than are removing them, um, because it's just a bit of extra time that that generally people haven't got in order to to tag that footage. Really early on, there's one of our one of our loggers who who was doing that initial logging process was saying to me, "Oh, God, I don't I don't like the sound of this. This is going to put me out of a job." But actually. It by no means puts him out of a job, but it just removes the really tedious element of the job. It makes him a researcher rather than a logger. And, and I think once they realise that it's it's the intention isn't to replace; it's just to 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 make a make the time spent on the system more valuable and more productive. Yeah, I, that's great. That that idea that you know that I think as well as the technology, I mean, it, it's, it's the adoption of that technology that it's so important um, by people and, and, and the skill set needed by people and, and you summing, 
can kind of sum that up there with, with you know loggers have changed into researchers now with mm-hmm. this technology can you talk about some some of the other challenges that you've seen as we became more specific and as, as you'll know we were we were looking at uh, identifying types of plane that we have we've got quite a lot of significant archive of plane plane rushes of various different types of plane and to get to to get to the point of having a model that could could recognize an airbus a380 or a or a, or a 747 there was a lot of work involved in that and even at that stage you weren't able to filter down to tell the difference between a i don't know a, a dc10 and a 737 or something like that so if the planes look largely similar uh then the amount of work the the amount of work required in order to build a model to recognize them becomes uh, exponentially um, greater. That's another thing that I think that probably we, certainly I wasn't prepared. I mean, when we started talking about the aeroplanes and I sort of casually together gathered together 20 or 30 stills gathered from the internet of various different aeroplanes and uh, speaking to speaking to your guys i think they sort of chuckled behind their knuckles so oh, we need a couple of hundred at least you know to, to be able to build something uh something worthwhile so it's uh it's worth bearing in mind that that you know that's uh it's it's sort it's not sort of an afternoon's work to to build uh a machine learning model i don't think or certainly not in our in our experience maybe if you're looking for something very recognizable and very specific then maybe it is an afternoon's work but if you're more, slightly more generic then yeah uh, i think it takes a bit longer no absolutely and uh, i think that there is a whole skill set around choosing the right images and and selecting those images as part of the training model mm-hmm. i think the exception to that is, is where you've got static in sort of logos or or, or, or brands and think those those sort of things that that that's Fairly straightforward, and then faces as well, because mm-hmm. you've got, you know, most faces have eyes, nose, mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, well, before COVID and your uh, um, masks, <laughs> um, so it, it can recognize. You know, you, you've got a starting point, and um, and we've got some tools that that, that speed that up. But uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, I hear what you're saying. So, so looking to the future a bit, can you talk about some of the areas that you, you know, you you might be considering using machine learning in the future? Well, yeah, like I said before, it's that once you start using it, you start looking looking at various possibilities. Them and faces being one of them. Obviously, most of our programs have you know extensive interviews with uh, with contributors. Uh, and being able to search for uh, a particular contributor and what they say could, is a is a valuable thing that we're certainly looking at uh, introducing in the in the future. Because apart from the facial recognition, you've obviously got the the, the speech to text option, so you can search for how they, you know, not only what they say but how they say it as well. So you've got uh, you know, em- emotional. Uh, uh, emotional logs if you like certainly uh, having having said it's very hard work to create custom models i'm also quite keen to pursue custom models because they're you know there's 
various sort of types of footage that Arrow has in its in its archive that I think has a potential value to be unlocked um, for uh, for future productions uh, amongst its uh, amongst its library and being able to search for you know taking for example taking something like space for as an example being able to search for a specific mission and being able to recognize space missions from within uh, curio is something we'd be uh, we'd also be interested in in building and that's obviously going to take take time and and plenty of refinement in order to get to that level of detail but uh, it's something i can see us uh, pursuing in future um, and also there's you know on the sort of compliance side of things there's you know as compliance requirements change and develop over time then the ability to point something like curio at a program and to analyze it on a on a compliance level uh, potentially has some value for us as well uh, so they're all areas that we're doing but the main thing I think is for for us to develop uh, how the information that's currently sitting in Curio is disseminated across the team but also across our other systems and you know I've been banging on about this for, for a while is that using the the API has been a, a learning experience for us because we're we're not an IT company, and uh, actually, the, the availability of an API has helped enormously in order to um, enrich the metadata that we're, we're storing. But also, I'd like to investigate how it goes the other way. So that you know, at the moment, as you know, we've got a media management system, we've got our very storage requirements, and we've got the uh, the Curio uh, instance all of which are, are generating their own bits of information and you know i don't know how to do it but an ambition is certainly to get that information transferred across those systems so that people aren't having to search in more than one place to gather information about footage it's less likely to be able to find the footage and then have a link to you know the production metadata or to the, the the object metadata in Curio or or whichever other uh, bits of information are available and are useful. And I think the API is the way to do that, uh, but I can't profess to know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and we're help, here to help with that as well, <laughs> definitely. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that's great because it's, it's really, you know, using machine learning to help you with a problem that you had immediately, which was trying to find assets and, and, and key points um, and key footage at complete production. But but you've kind of gone very quickly uh, beyond that and mm. really sort of pushing uh, the boundaries of of where you can use it as well, which is which is great. And, and, and uh, you know, I think within you know, a very short space of time, less than 10 months you've been using it um you, you've kind of shown the, the initial value but also you know where else it can go in the future so yeah, that's very exciting i think that's a key thing as well is that if you're going to do this sort of uh, this sort of work is that it has to have a 
a value, uh, you know, almost straight away, effectively. It's not. Uh, it's not. It's not something that you can uh, adopt without a without a value offering, really. Um, and once once you've got that value, then you can develop it and point it in different different areas as long as you're still getting that initial value from it. Yeah. And as I said, there was, you know, we couldn't film anything. We had 20, 20 edit suites working at the time who were missing GVs, they were missing drama reconstruction footage and, you know, essentially couldn't have finished the programmes without it um, because we had a huge library of stuff um, but it was it, it was a an archive really it was an archive it wasn't really a library now it's a library uh, to make and made more accessible in that way and allowed us to, to well effectively allowed us to finish the programs yeah excellent well um dan um thank you very much for your time today um thanks for sharing the story of arrow international media my pleasure thanks very much you can subscribe to the Metadata Matters podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about generating enriched time-specific metadata or Greymeta's Curio platform, visit greymeta.com or email me at metadatamatters, one word, at greymeta.com. See you next time.